0: Oi, gente. Estou, Quintus Curtius, esta Fortaleza da Mente. For the Portuguese speakers out there, that's uh, this is Quintus Curtius and this is Fortress of the Mind. In this podcast, we're going to talk about two unrelated questions, two separate and unrelated questions, both of which came by email recently. The first one is going to be travel tips and travel advice for a young guy in his 20s. And then the second question is going to be dealing with the subject of looking for sympathy. Someone who's looking for sympathy and what implications we can draw from that or should draw from that. Let's go to the first question, the question about travel tips for a young guy in his 20s. Let's see what the email says about that and what conclusions we can draw from that. This is an email from uh, two days ago, and he says, uh, I hope you have been doing well. As you can tell by the title of this email, I am looking for some advice on traveling by myself because I have never done, it. I have never done so before. I also seek to gain a better understanding of various religions as well as first hand experience of advanced technology, relevant reasons for the story genre that I will be writing. I guess he's working on writing a story or something. Okay, that's fine. Good for you. Good work. Uh, He says also, um, uh, I understand that my parents would be concerned about my safety as well as my finances. If you had a son my age who wanted to travel alone for the first time, what qualities in his character and responsibilities would you expect of him before giving him permission to travel? Okay, so good question. Well, the first thing is, I don't think that traveling itself requires any special uh, you know, virtues of character or uh, personality, unless uh, unless you call just common sense, uh, you know, virtues of character. But what I will do is I will give you some, some tips, some hints, and I've written down here basically five different big tips or big points to consider when you're traveling. And these are things that I think everybody in their uh in their 20s should think about when they're getting ready to travel because the key thing is it's important traveling is so important that i think it's the type of habit that you need to get into when you're young when you're still young when you can still do all those crazy things without really any collateral consequences so let me for actually let me first get get this out of the way. I'm not going to waste time in this podcast by going over some sort of gear and equipment list. Okay, I've already done that. I'm going to post two links uh, for this podcast on my site. Uh, I've already written two articles, and they're like Hardcore Travel Equipment Tips from Robert Young Pelton and Hardcore Travel Advice by Robert Young Pelton, and these are just uh, syntheses of great travel gear tips and travel advice, practical travel advice that I've gotten from reading some of the books of Robert Young Pelton, a guy that I respect a lot. And I'm going to post those links on my site along with the link to this podcast. So you can, you can find that there. So if you have questions about the specific gear and equipment, then go in and check those articles out because I've already written about that in great detail. Now, I understand that not everybody is going to be traveling to a quote, hardcore place. But the the gear tips and equipment tips are still very, very valid. They're still very practical. They're still very useful, as is the travel advice. Now, this is travel advice that dates back from the 1990s and is still valid today, maybe even more so today than it was before. What I am going to do in this podcast, though, is talk about my own practical experience and what I think are the five top travel tips or advices, pieces of advice that I would give to somebody in their early 20s. So bear with me and hear me out as I go down my laundry list here. The first point is know the area. Know the area. Look, it's no secret that the world is big. And when we start talking about travel advice, we can get bogged down in in very... uh, You know, non specific advice. The first thing we have to keep in mind is every part of the world, every city, every country, every region is different. And the number one travel advice or piece of advice I would give is before you go somewhere, know where the hell you're going and know the region, know the area of where you're going to be traveling to. Okay, do your research, do your homework. If you know you're going to be going to Bucharest, Hungary, You need to read everything you can get your hands on about that city or that country and that people and do your homework because you'll be able to relate things better. You'll be able to make sense of what you're seeing around you better. If you know more, the more you know about the region, the better you'll be able to do that. Okay. Now, nobody really wants to spend the time to do this, but this is what sets aside or separates the amateur traveler from the really professional traveler. This is what separates the dorks from those who are truly serious. And I'm not just talking about scanning some nonsense in a travel brochure. I'm talking about doing some real reading, you know, actually getting a book out and actually going through it and you know, learning the local terrain and the people to such an extent that when you reach the area that you're going to be traveling to, you'll have a better feel for the place. You'll have that intangible feel, uh, which will give you an an edge and will help you make sense, will help you process what you're seeing. The more you know, the less the culture shock will be. You would consider that self-evident, but trust me, it's not. I mean, there are people that just go places without knowing anything, and then they wonder why they're, uh, they're depressed for a week. The second thing is money. Money, money, money. Uh, a good rule of thumb is you're going to need twice as much money and half as many clothes. Okay? Twice as much money and half as much clothing. And that is true no matter how long you're going to be in this country or what region you're going to. So take care of your money issues before you go. If you're going to a foreign country, Make sure you have foreign currency with you, a good supply of it, in your pocket when you hit the deck. When you hit the ground running, you should already have foreign currency with you, okay? You don't wait till you get there to change. You do it before you leave, or at least you should have a good supply of it, okay? Uh, Some people rely on ATM cards, which is uh, in the developed parts of the world is a great idea, You know, what you do is you bring your your bank card with you and you just simply go to the local ATM, you withdraw your money uh, in local currency, and you pay a, a small foreign transaction fee for that privilege. And if you do that, make sure you go to the larger banks where you're going to get the better exchange rates. Make sure you go to the larger banks where you are going to get the better exchange rates because they do a lot of their cash exchanges in bulk, in bulk. Another way to change money or to handle money is to, to get these prepaid traveler's cards. American Express is big on these. What what you do is you put a certain amount of money on a card. It's almost like a debit card, and you carry that with you, and you use that almost like an ATM card. Okay, So you can use either, either one of those options. Either one is fine. If you do take your own bank card, make sure you don't... Uh, obviously use common sense in protecting your pin and passwords for security's sake don't leave a large balance in the card in case you know worst case scenario you're not um you're not going to be out you know a lot of uh, a lot of money if something bad happens if you get ripped off and also it's a good idea to tell your bank before you go tell your originating bank before you go so that they know when they see a foreign transaction appear on your bank statement or in your timeline, they'll know that it's legitimate. They'll know that it was intended and it's not some fraudster who's doing it. So those are the big money issues. You know, in the old days, people took traveler's checks. Uh, I don't even think that's really even worth it, it. It's so it's so antiquated, it doesn't even merit really discussion. But maybe that'll come back someday. Maybe Maybe the day of the traveler's check, the physical traveler's check is coming back Someday, and maybe that's uh, maybe there are some merits to doing that. I don't think there is, but you can look into that too if you want. But the big thing with money is have a lot of it or have access to a lot of it and don't let anybody know that you've got it. Okay, if you're going to be tramping around, you might want to look into things like money belts or other security features for money. You know, the, the travel shops can help you with that. There's all sorts of options. You can get money belts, you can get the neck purses you know those those pouches you carry around in your neck a lot of that stuff is kind of rookie stuff rookie traveler stuff kind of dorky uh, stuff Uh, but i suppose it's it's better than nothing especially if you're going to be doing a lot of hiking or or tramping around um, you know that sort of thing the third thing is living options and when it comes to places to stay when you're traveling you really these days you really get three options uh, the traditional hotel or motel type of arrangement, a uh, youth hostel, or the Airbnb option, and which one of these options you choose really comes down to your age, your budget, and your preference. Hotels have their merits. Okay, if you are going to be in a a larger city, you know, especially a western city, hotels are nice. You know, you've got the benefits of having a hotel, somebody to handle your room for you, and all that other stuff. Uh, the downsides are hotels are starting to get expensive it seems like i don't know what the deal is but it seems like in the past 15 years hotel prices have gone up all over the world i mean i've just noticed that just everywhere you know europe south america um maybe because they're facing competition from from other sources i don't know but hotel prices have gone up a lot and for the budget traveler that can be an issue also sometimes hotels are just a hassle you know you um you know they 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 make you sign in guests in and out and they seem to want an undue level of control over your privacy and some people just don't want to deal with that but it's it's up to you you know i mean for older people hotels really make sense a lot of older people just swear by hotels and i still do use them occasionally they they have their place you know they they have their place especially when you're traveling within a country you're flying around within a country you can go to a local hotel and just chill out there if you're traveling there. Hostels, these youth hostels, those are a big thing with students and, and like, you know, travelers in their 20s. Um, for me those days are over. Uh, I I have no reason to I think it's basically if you're if you're a successful older guy, uh, you shouldn't really be staying in a hostel. I just don't think there's any merit to doing that. You're going to be kind of in a in a bunk bed type situation with a lot of other backpackers and and these uh, you know these uh, these student types and I suppose if you're if you're in your teens or twenties that's fine you know because if you're a guy in your early twenties chances are you're not going to have a lot of money and you're going to want to go the budget route and that's fine you know in that case you know use hostels I did it back in the day when I was in my early twenties uh, I did it a few times I never liked them. Because I felt like the privacy was not really not what I wanted it to be. And also, you tend to just get these people that leech onto you, these latchers on, these hangers on, these people that are looking for a security blanket. You know, you meet somebody and, and somebody else is from the States or from Canada or from England or whatever. And they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, you're, and they expect you to kind of be their mother and and coddle their insecurities, whatever. I just, I just don't want to deal with that. So um, look into it. You know, hostels have their place. I think sometimes if you're in a bigger city, a very, very large, expensive city like Paris or London, maybe those have benefits. But Airbnb, that's the third option. They seem now to have really cornered the market on a lot of the traditional travel living arrangements. You can find something on on Airbnb.com that suits whatever budget. And for those who don't know, Airbnb is a... Uh, it's a website that offers hosting services for people who own private residences, apartments, and houses who rent them out to travelers and Some cities have started to clamp down on uh the uh, the um you know the options that airbnb can offer you know there there's some zoning regulations and you know, you do have some issues with the proprietors of these places. You know, you have to make sure you do your investigation. You have to make sure that you're getting a good place, that the person is uh, from whom you're renting is uh, a legitimate proprietor. Uh, there's always going to be a little bit of a, a gamble involved, but that's part of the fun. And what what really is good about Airbnb is the prices. I mean, you're you're, you're going to pay often half as much as what you would pay for a hotel. And in many situations, you can get a local rental in in a downtown area of a major city that's going to be a fraction of what you would pay at a hotel so airbnb is very good you know uh, it's very very good and i would i would i would strongly recommend it and then the fifth travel tip is know the language at least a little bit okay again i'm not saying if you know you're going to be going to some place that you need to start studying the language uh uh, intensely although that, that would be nice but Wherever you're going, you should at least have with you a phrase book. You should at least make an effort to speak the local language and have some familiarity with the lay of the local linguistic landscape. Because, again, it all comes down to situational awareness. The more you know, the more you can understand of what's going on around you, the best you will be able to protect your own safety. Okay, So try to make an effort to at least get to a basic level in any language of where you'll be going. And when I say basic, I mean this. Introductions, stating your name, ordering food at a at a place that sells food, maybe taking a cab or a taxi somewhere. Just the basic survival skills, okay? Because it's not just for your benefit. It lets everybody else know around you not to mess with you so much. They're going to think that you know the deal. And you know, it it um, it comes down to kind of what we talked about, of um, uh, you know, of the more you know, the better off you're going to be. And I'm looking at my list here. I realize I skipped I skipped uh, one of the tips, but I'll go back to it. But anyway, it 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 comes down to knowing the lay of the land. So, as my fifth tip, know the language at least a little bit of where you're going. And then the final tip, the fifth one be aware of your surroundings okay don't look like a target be aware of your surroundings don't look like a target this is practically the number one travel safety and survival tip and by necessity it has to be kind of vague i mean i can't really give advice on this in anything more than just a broad outline but it it entails certain things you should, number one, know how to blend into the local landscape. You should not be standing out in the clothes that you wear or the way that you talk. Uh, you should at least be familiar with local customs and procedures. And number three, you should be skeptical of people you meet. When you're a traveler, especially when you're a young traveler, you're going to run into all sorts of characters on the road. You're going to run into all sorts of characters. Most, the, vast majority, the vast majority of these people are innocent well-meaning well-intentioned people who uh, are not out to do you any harm or not out to get you or not out there to do anything to you but there are there is a small percentage of people who you need to be on guard against. these are people that are out uh, to pull scams on you to take advantage of you uh, and it, it may not be anything really serious but it may just be somebody who's trying to score uh, you know, to waste your time at the expense of, of your own time or to try to scam, you know, some free drinks off you or, or whatever. So you've got to be a person who's not a clueless dork. You've got to practice being street smart. Now, how can you, how can you give someone advice on being street smart? Well, you really can't, but I can at least tell you what you need to do. If you're someone who's a clueless dork, Learn how not to be a clueless dork, okay? Get get to have some street smarts, man. Be aware of your surroundings. Be someone who is situationally aware. And as I said, being situationally aware entails three basic things. Blending in, knowing the local customs, and being skeptical of people that you meet. So those are the five big things. The five big things, again, I'll repeat those. Number one, know the area that you're going to be traveling to. Number two, focus on money matters. Number three, take care to look at your living arrangements, whether it's hostels, ho- uh, hostels, hotels, or Airbnb. Number four, know the language, at least a little bit of where you're going. And number five, be aware of your surroundings and don't look like a target. So that's my advice to the guy who sent me the question about travel advice for a young person in their early 20s. So that's going to be my advice to him. Let's move on now to a more serious subject, a more serious subject. And I'm going to talk a little bit about, about the, the the idea of looking for sympathy from other people. And how did I come up with this uh, this subject? Well, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier this week and he was telling me a story about a traumatic Experience that he had gone through in his life, and it was it was something that really mattered to him. you know I felt bad uh, because I, I could relate to the fact that it was a very traumatic experience he had gone through, and it was something that was distressing him a great deal, and he was telling me that he tried to convey this this um the news of this trauma you know to his girlfriend, and he did not really get the reaction that he expected he was expecting a, a reaction that was very nurturing very understanding, very sympathetic. And what he got really instead was uh, a more of a dismissive, a more dismissive type of response than he would have liked. And, you know, I thought about this, and this was something that I've experienced also in my own life a lot. And I, I, you know, it was something that I've thought about a lot. And it really comes down to this. If you're a man, and if you are suffering... Don't look to your woman for sympathy to help you alleviate your suffering. Don't look to your woman to help you alleviate your suffering because it's really not something that she is constitutionally capable of doing. Now, I know there are probably people listening to this right now saying, how can you say that, Quintus, that you're absolutely wrong? You know, my wife, my girlfriend is very sympathetic. She always nurtures me. She always is... Uh, just hear me out. Just hear me out what I'm going to say, okay? We live in a society right now where if you're a woman, your suffering is acknowledged by the press, by the public, by everybody. There's a whole industry, a whole cottage industry designed around catering to the imaginary sufferings of women and their pain, their angst, their anguish. But if you're a man, nobody gives a shit about your suffering. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear it. If you're a man, you're expected to suffer in silence and suck it up and move on. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear it, and nobody cares. And in many ways, this is a disturbing, a very, very disturbing and shocking thing for most guys to really become aware of. Because it's a natural and normal human impulse to want... To share your pain with somebody. You know, you're if you're a man, if, if you're a human being, whether you're a man or a woman, if you've gone through something traumatic, you want to be able to talk about that with a loved one, with an intimate, with a family member, with a friend, with somebody. But if you're a man, you've got to be very careful about how you do that. Because this is the thing. Deep down, a woman is going to hold that against you. If you go to your woman, if you go to your girlfriend or your wife or your lover, and you try to explain to her how you're, you're hurting inside and how you're suffering and, and how something really hurt you a great deal, she may superficially extend you some sympathy. She may superficially extend you some sympathy. But my experience has been this, and this is where some of you may disagree. But my experience has been that deep down in that lizard brain, in that lizard brain, she will secretly hold that against you. She will count that in the negative column of your masculinity. And isn't that isn't that sad? To really become aware of that, and it's really not. It's not now. Before you scream and moan and say that it's what I'm saying is so misogynistic, let me just say that I don't think that it's a deliberate thing. I think it's just an impulse thing. I think it's just the way women are wired. I think it's the way women are wired. Women are wired to show sympathy and empathy for their children. Okay? If if you're the if you're the child of a woman, you're going to get the sympathy in that respect. Women are I think designed to really show their nurturing, their sympathetic impulses for their kids. That's where the impulse goes. It doesn't really go to the man. It doesn't really go to the man because in her lizard brain, at her at her uh, level of, um, uh, you know, genetic inheritance, whatever you want to call it, the man is really supposed to be the provider. The they're looking to you as the man for the provider impulse. They're looking to you for the sympathy, for the nurturing. They don't really want to extend sympathy to you because when they do that, that sort of upsets their serenity. That gives women a deep sense of unease. When they see their man vulnerable, laid low maybe by despair or trauma or angst or pain, That. Instead of triggering a sympathetic impulse, what that does is that triggers an insecurity impulse. It triggers an insecurity impulse because they say to themselves, "Oh my God, uh, this is not good. You know, this is not good. I'm I'm relying on you for support and for sustenance. And if you're having hard times, how the hell are you going to take care of me?" So before you condemn women though for this impulse, realize that. Both men and women have their own genetic inheritances. They have their own ways of thinking that are separate. I don't blame women. I don't fault them for thinking this way or for behaving this way. But what I do uh, fault is our culture for leading men to believe that they can go cry on their woman's shoulder and that that behavior is going to be rewarded. It will not be rewarded. Brothers. It will not be rewarded. Let me tell you, you will be punished and you will be reminded of it just at your weakest moment. And in many ways, that's the that kind of encapsulates the, the difficulty of really being a man. You've got to be in masculine mode 24 hours of the day, seven days a week. There are no off days for masculinity. There are no days off for masculinity. You've got to be on your game 24-7, and the minute you need it the most, the minute you need nurturing the most, is when you won't get it. You won't get it maybe from the fair weather friends, you won't get it from your woman, you won't really get it from your wife. And if you do get it, it will be rationed out in miserly amounts. And worse than that, it will be held against you. It'll be filed in the back of the lizard brain to be pulled out when needed to use against you in an argument. Hey, remember that time? Remember that time you were a wuss about this or that? remember that time you were crying about this or that? It's a harsh, harsh truth, man. It is a harsh truth, but it is something that I think most men, if they're being honest with themselves, can relate to, and when they hear when they hear me say this, they're going to say yeah. Quintus, man, you're right. You're right. I tried, man. I tried to do that. And I got neither sympathy nor empathy. And as an aside, there is there is actually a difference between the words sympathy and empathy. Um, I'm just reminded right now. There's, uh, I think it was one of those Ocean's Eleven movies. Ocean's Twelve or Thirteen, I can't remember. The one where they were in Amsterdam. And there's a, a scene where Brad Pitt says... Uh, to one of the other characters, he says, uh, "I wouldn't count on much sympathy or empathy." Um, and uh, all jokes aside, there is a difference between those two words. I won't. Uh, I won't get into it, but I'll just tell you: if you're interested, go look it up. But uh, the point is, you're not going to get much in the way of sympathy from your from your female lover. It's just not really part of the equation. But you can get it from a trusted friend. You can get it from a trusted friend. And that's why I encourage men to reach out to close friends for those innermost secret traumas and struggles that they're dealing with. Because some things you just can't talk about with a woman. You just can't. It's just not part of their experience. It's just, it's just not part of their world. They just don't get it. And you know, as I've gotten older, I can really understand, and this is why I think that the ancient Stoics said it so well, when they said that in some ways, friendship is more important than love. Friendship is more important than love. Uh, love, Physical love serves an important purpose. It serves the purpose of procreation. It serves the purpose of, of to some extent, emotional support. But it doesn't solve every problem. It doesn't solve every problem. And this is the lie that the Western media teaches guys in the West from the time that they're very, very young. And this is why they feel so cruelly betrayed when they realize that a lot of these stereotypes and a lot of this propaganda is just not true. And so that's why I think the ancients said, and Cicero himself said it uh, many times, many times, and so did Seneca, so did Epictetus, that friendship is more lasting and more enduring than love in many ways. And when you first hear that, maybe you may dismiss that as just hyperbolic, as just exaggeration. But no, it, it really is in some ways it's true. So just keep that in mind. File that away for reference and realize the next time you are looking for sympathy be careful who you ask. Be here, be careful who you approach because you may not get the reaction that you expect. And that's why if we really want to survive in this world, we have to embrace the ethic and the thinking of the ancient Stoics in many ways because that really is the only method that I can see that provides us that inner peace. And you can learn more about these ideas in my book's Stoic Paradoxes, which you can find on Amazon and also in my book, On Duties. And you can find links to both of those books on my site, on the homepage on the right side, the right-hand side of the homepage. You can find the icons and just click on those and go uh, look more deeply into those. So that will conclude my podcast here for today. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.